Well, Patty, I am so excited that we finally get to have our conversation with Adam Neese, who's a friend of mine. I just drove out a couple of weeks ago to his office uh-huh. in Ohio, and we're talking about Rate Tracker. Everybody's always asking me, James, how do I generate more leads in merchant services? Today, we're finally going to give you an answer to that question. And that's a great answer, I think. I mean, Adam was um, was really open and uh, you know conversant about what he's doing, and I think people are going to really benefit from it. Yep. And um, and then I have a uh, report um, on uh, some of the payment trends um, that have been kicked into uh, overdrive by uh, the uh, pandemic, what it might mean for selling in the future. And then James, you had a really great question from the field. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I really just wanted to dive into price increases because one of the key things about Rate Tracker is this transparency it's going to add to the industry. And so I want to talk about that and how it relates to doing price increases and, and making those important decisions. Yeah, and uh, today's episode is sponsored by NMI. Um, you can get more information by going to ccsalespro.com slash N as in Nancy, M as in Mary, I as in Indigo. Awesome. Let's jump into the episode and start with our interview. Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Everybody, we are here today with Adam Neese, the founder of Rate Tracker. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, I got the pleasure of actually driving out, meeting with Adam at his headquarters in Ohio. And I've really been looking forward to this conversation about generating merchant leads. Uh, it is, you know, nothing is more popular in terms of topics in these Facebook groups and writing online and stuff. And so we're going to talk about Rate Tracker and how you see this, you know, unfolding. But before we do that, Adam, give us a little bit of a background. I know you have a really interesting journey in the payment space. How did you get into this industry? And then tell us about kind of this rationale of starting Rate Tracker. Cool. Yeah. So I think uh, safe to say I got into the payments industry by accident. Um, I had a, uh, a patent pending on a technology that involved rewards programs. And I got started selling for another payment processor right out of college. I was working on that project while in college and um, I got into selling to small businesses. I fell in love with payment processing. I decided to launch that product. It failed miserably. That was in 2017. And then I came back to right where right back to where I was selling, and uh, resigned. You know, two years after that, and launched my ISO Certain Pay. Awesome. And then Rate Tracker was like a year after that, so I've been working on it for like two years. So. So awesome. Rate Tracker does not relate to the what you did back uh, previously. No. Well, I own two companies. I own Rate okay. Tracker and Certain Pay. Right. Not Certain Pay is an ISO. Uh, we've been in business for two and a half years, and Rate Tracker is the software that I license out to. Uh, you know, competing agents in the industry. Sure, and sure. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah. Cool. Just wanted to be sure of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Our audience always love to hear that. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah let's, let's dive into this. So I'm so excited about this because I really want our audience to understand it. This is a little bit of a new technology. It's not something a lot of our audience may have not been exposed to previously. So let's start with the merchant. Okay, so not worried about the agent. We'll get to how the agents are going to use it. But as far as a, a merchant, a small business owner, why would they sign up for Rate Tracker and then kind of walk us through that? What does that mean? They sign up. What does that mean that, you know, what's that process? And then what do they, what do they get? You know, so kind of walk us through that merchant perspective, sure. if you would. So the reason why they would sign up is because Rate Tracker is the simplest way for a merchant to know their total fees, total sales, and then their effective rate, right? Um, everybody talks about, unless they're on cash discount, right? Everybody talks about, you know, they want, they want to save somebody money. That's kind of, you know, usually water under the bridge at this point because everyone's saying it. Merchants get intrigued by the concept of it because of how it spins the conversation. It spins it towards trust, accountability, 
And especially in today's world with COVID really affecting a lot of small businesses, simple is best and knowing your numbers is key and crucial to stay in business. So instead of them trying to figure out what their effective rate was and what they're paying, they can just get a text message and an email every month that tells them that information, last month's fees, sales, rate, and then they even have a dashboard that they can log into and view their numbers and all that great stuff. I'm trying to simplify pricing rates and fees for merchants so that they're not unknowingly taken advantage of. And give us a little bit of a snapshot of how you get that. So when they sign up, what do they have to do so that you can get this data and then share it with them? Sure. Two things, two ways they could do it, right? Uh, they could sign up for free at just ratetracker.io or they go to the, a specific agent's link and we can get into that in a second. Um, and then all they need to do is sign up for free, create a profile, and then they connect their bank account via Plaid. Uh, Plaid is the same API that uh, it connects the banking world, right? It's the same API that Venmo uses and PayPal and Coinbase and all that. And that's how we see the information. And RayTracker's algorithm is designed to sniff out the different credit card processing descriptors. We've got like 80 or so coded in. And you can sign, a merchant can sign up, connect their bank account, and agents are able to see literally every single merchant account that they either have or had and uh, puts everything into perspective for both sides. There's more transparency on both sides um, and allows you to keep better tabs on the, the books of business you have, so. Cool, cool. Hey, let's get, if you don't mind that, I'd like to talk about the agent uh, perspective for sure. a minute here. You yeah. Know, you know, what, what would be the typical scenario where an agent would be using Rate Tracker, and how do they sign up um, a merchant for such an account? So, so um, agents would use it if they, I mean, you can literally, you can take Rate Tracker and, and implement it into however you do business now. It is all about lead generation, right? That's, that's the big question in today's world. Um, how are you generating leads? You can knock on doors, you can go to referral groups, you can work on your, with your existing clients. I think social media and online is becoming stronger and more relevant. And Rate Tracker can literally tie into all those types of business development channels, right? Um, for example, if you knock on doors, you can go into your agent dashboard, which is, you know, it's a username password uh, portal that mm -hmm. you can use to uh, build your portfolios. And inside of that portal, you can create a flyer and slap a QR code on it automatically. And when you go out prospecting, you're not leading with, hey, Mr. Merchant, I want an appointment or get me a statement. I can save you money. It's like you can go in and say, hey, I know I'm the third person in here today that you know, says they can save you money. I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm here to give you something for free, give you something valuable. And all you have to do is scan this QR code and you'll be set up. You can sign up for free, right? That merchant shows up on the agent's dashboard. The agent can see, they can log in like a CRM and they can see the contact information, all that great stuff. But it takes it a step further because you know their volume, their fees, their effective rate, and it even goes back 24 months. So you essentially can get 24 months of effective rate data, which saves a bunch of time because you don't have to do those statement analyses, right? Now, um, why would a merchant, why would an agent use it? Because they want to sell more mids and they want to build more referral relationships. Uh, and also they want to hang on to their clients longer, right? Rate Tracker introduces like a, an unforeseen like approach towards transparency and ethics. And there are plenty of really great agents in the industry that love the concept because it finally lets them play 
on the same level of, of in the merchant's eyes as the guy up the street that's going to do it at five and five and then raise it up to, you know, X percent and play that game of cat and mouse. Um, go ahead. No, I was just going to, I was just asking, you know, you say that the agent while prospecting would go in there and say, Hey, here's something I want to give to you, you know, set yeah. this up. Right. So what, what's been the experience with merchants saying, yeah, I'll take that as opposed to saying, Hey, I don't have time for that. Uh, nobody says they don't have time for it. It's either like, so, so anytime you introduce a new product to the market, right. you fight against the do nothing, right? Of like course. If yeah. there's, if they don't want to do something, they don't want to do it. Right. right. Um, it's just like cash discount where, um, it's an option in the selling process, right? Uh -huh. The merchant doesn't have to necessarily sign up for rate tracker for both sides of the conversation to get value. Obviously, if you don't get the business or you, even if you do, that merchant is going to be uh, even happier feeling like they're in great hands because you signed them up with rate tracker, right? I would say um, from a conversion standpoint, I don't have like hard data on it. Yeah, it's just difficult to track. Sure, I say it's like a 33% success rate. Okay. Um, like one in three. Okay. And the thing about it that's really interesting is that it's it, even when you bring it up in conversation, merchants love the fact that we either stand behind it or we somebody that's out in the field uses it and it just builds rapport and credibility. Right. Right. It's kind of like that, like uh, uh, early on momentum. Like I literally just launched this product and I'm mostly focused on user feedback. So agents, referral partners, and merchants, there's three types of users. And what I'm trying to figure out is what's the best way to carry out my mission, which is to stop egregious and irresponsible rate increases. Right. right. So there's yeah. a lot of experimenting going on here, right? Yeah. It's been good so far. Yeah. So I think this is a good spot. I want to dive into some more details here, Adam. I think what I want to do is I want to zoom out for just a second. I'm going to restate kind of the the elevator pitch version of what Ray Tracker is, as I think you've just described. And you correct me if I'm wrong, because I really want to make sure our audience like gets kind of the simplicity of this, right? So at its core, the idea is a business owner <clears throat> using Plaid, and those who are not familiar with Plaid is where a business owner basically can log into their own online banking, basically through Plaid. It's a secure way to do that, where it's not sharing their user information with Rate Tracker, of course. So yeah. they log into their bank account and they authorize Rate Tracker to have access to their business uh, bank account transactions. Then Rate Tracker looks at all those transactions and pulls out using your algorithm and you identify and say, here are the transactions that are deposits that came from your credit card processing company. Mm -hmm. Here are the fees or the negative transactions that represent fees charged by your processing company. Mm -hmm. Then you take those total fees divided by total volume and you get an effective rate. Um, and so the idea would be number one, this tells the merchant and the agent how much the merchant's really paying. So when they yep. say, oh, I'm only paying 1%, well, they sign up for Rate Tracker and they're like, well, wait a second, you pay 3.2% or 2.8% or whatever it is, right? And then secondly, it, it validates this idea that, look, I'm signing you up for this because even if you go with me, I want you to have confidence that every month you're going to get a text and an email that says, here is your effective rate. And this way you will know for sure that I'm never going to do a price increase because if I do, it's literally, I'm going to be notifying you every month that I did a price increase, which is stupid. So this just shows you how transparent and honest. Is that, is that a good yeah. explanation? Did I miss anything? That's basically it. So, I mean, even if you, and if you don't close a sale, let's say you sign up a merchant with rate tracker and that you don't get the business. Every month, their rate tracker follows up for you and it tells the merchant their last month's fees, their last month's sales, and then their effective rate. 
It's right. only a matter of time until either that merchant gets a rate increase, rate tracker finds out immediately because it's all right there. It's the effective right. rate is tip is really what matters when it comes right. to pricing and fees. Right. When that rate increase happens, the processor notifies the merchant on their statement that they don't read or don't even get. The merchant just sees money in and money out. And you know, they often don't catch a rate increase until right. years down the line, right? Until they're yep. making the decision to reevaluate their processor. Yep. So it follows up for you. And when they get those emails and the texts, the merchant can log into their dashboard and there's a button there that's right by a, their last two years of effective rate data. It says, talk to a payments expert. And when that happens, if you're the agent that either directly or indirectly signed up that merchant, you get an email from Rate Tracker that says, hey, you have a hot lead, so-and-so reached out for these reasons, and here's their contact information, go close a sale. Yep. That's how it works over the long term. But really what it is, and speaking of this podcast, it's a lead generator because sometimes merchants don't want to connect their bank account. They right. probably like two out of 10 question it. Most of them do it, right? We live in a right. digital age now. Right. They can drag and drop a statement. And when that happens, you, the agent that's directly or indirectly related to that merchant, they get a statement emailed to them. Uh, and that's a lead. Go close that sale. You know, that person, that, that merchant is saying, I want somebody from this company rate tracker that stands for transparency. I want them to see if I'm getting a fair deal. Right. right. And by, by doing that, it kind of creates like a, um, well, what's the right word? It creates like a, a positive and like reinforcing environment for that merchant. You know, you're not just like another agent and no offense. I mean, we all do the same right. thing. We're kind of commoditized. So, you know, right. it's, yeah. it's a good thing. It's a nice thing to stand behind. So. I like it. So yeah, so this idea of generating leads, which was really my next question, I think you just covered beautifully, which is this idea that, you know, let's say, let's say I'm out in the field, I'm prospecting every day and every day, maybe I'm making one sale a day, but I'm also adding three or four people yeah. into my rate tracker, right? That are, they're not saying yes right now, but I'm saying, well, hey, if you're not going to say yes, you know that credit card processing companies increase rates all the time, right? Yes. Okay, great. Let's go ahead and add you to this. So at least you can keep track. And if they do ever increase your rate, you can reach out and let me know. Yeah. Um, right. So that's the lead generation side. So I want to talk about that a little bit further. So how do we implement this? Right. So I just gave kind of an example. What are some other examples you're seeing of either yourself or other people that have been out in the field speaking to merchants? How are they actually implementing rate tracker in, in a way that enables them to get a lot of leads? So um, I think in that, the best way to go about our business and lead generation is referral partners, right? Yeah. Um, like rate tracker is a way to connect further with your referral partners. Say it's an accounting company or a bookkeeper or whatever. Rate tracker is a way to digitally connect to your referral partners and help your referral partners give something to their audience for free. That's going to benefit them and potentially save them thousands of dollars. So Hypothetical situation. Maybe you have a referral partner that's that's a bookkeeper. They do bookkeeping for 500 merchants, and there's already content created, email campaigns that I actually wrote. Um, and uh, the 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 bookkeeper can introduce Rate Tracker to their audience by using their referral link that they got sent to them from the agent. Like it's all connected on the back end to the agent dashboard. That's why I said directly or indirectly. So imagine if you have a bookkeeper client or a referral partner and you tell them about, hey, check this out. There's a really cool product. Like referral partners don't have to pay. They have the leads. They're probably the most important user inside of Rate Tracker of right. the three. 
And when they, they might send out an email blast or put it on their website, there's a bunch of ways we could do it where um, maybe, maybe 14 people decide, Hey, that's cool. I want to drag and drop my statement. Well, the agent just got, gets 14 statements in their inbox and those are 14 leads and deals and opportunities to go close. And meanwhile, the referral partner is strengthening their relationship with their clients by giving them something for free that adds value. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, so I think we've established it. I, I feel like um, you know I've got a got a pretty good idea of this. So I, I do want to talk about the future just a, a little bit here. So you know, obviously, as a result of this, Adam, you know, you're going to be grabbing all kinds of data from merchants, hopefully gathering a lot of data from merchants, building this out where individual agents are going to have eventually three, four, 500 merchants that they're, you know, every month they're getting five, six, 10, 20 leads of people that are like, hey, this person just got a rate increase, right? And so I, we, I think we get all that. Where are you trying to take this? What do you see this? I know you're, you're kind of starting this out. What are some of your short-term and long-term goals that you see with Rate Tracker? So short-term goal is to... Uh, continue to get feedback, figure out what people want. You know, we've yeah. kind of been listening to what agents want, merchants and referral partners, um, monetize it, right? It costs me money every month to, to run with development and all that. I'm about sure. 160 grand, give or take into this thing. Um, right. And I just got a $9,000 invoice the other day too, um, which is, you know, it's just part of it. Like I'm so, right. I'm so into this idea and this, yeah. what, it, what it's going to do for the industry um, yeah. that, I don't care about that, but my short-term goal, figure out how to monetize it, make it, make it profitable, all that stuff and use your feedback. Long-term goal. Um, I want, I want you to picture like three years in advance where um, the tech, the, the business that we operate in is even more driven by technology and service. And people are going to look back and say, Hey, remember when this was like an industry full of deception and greed? Well, that doesn't happen anymore because Rate Tracker has become the standard of ethics in the industry, and you can sell deals at a higher margin as long as it's consistent. Most merchants would would rather pay a higher margin consistently than pay right. down here and then get jacked up to here. Right. So right. I really want to improve the overall integrity of the industry. I think there's a lot of people that agree with me, um, and I also want this thing to become like the Carfax of the payments industry. Like uh-huh. you wouldn't buy a used car if it wasn't for the Carfax. You want to look under the hood and make sure. Just like you wouldn't switch payment processors unless it was an ISO or an agent that was rate tracker certified. And that's all based on the data that they provide, you know, that that, that shows like, hey, this ISO has 4,000 users and their effective rates are very consistent. But this one, you know, kind of choppy, like they're known to do rate increases. All right, well, they shouldn't have certification and trust in the eyes of the public. And I'm going to make it as unbiased as I can possibly make it because, um, I care about the greater good of the, the the whole industry and the agents that are out there doing business honestly that are losing deals to the dishonest ones. I think that that should go away. It should be based on more things other than price. And it's interesting how Rate Tracker actually gets the conversation away from price because the merchant feels comfortable. And like the fact that you invest in a product as an agent and pay a SaaS fee every month or however you sign up shows that you actually believe in doing the right thing and you're willing to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And to kind of address what you were saying, because um, one of, there's two pushbacks to this. Number one, uh, I sell a lot of cash discounts, so this isn't relevant for me. It will get you in the door at places like 
that you normally wouldn't because it's a new concept, even if somebody's already on cash discount, believe it or not, it's worked on our side. Um, and then the other thing is, how do I know you're not going to steal my leads? You own an ISO, Adam. And uh, I'll tell you this. I love my ISO. It's awesome. Like, just like you, James, like never would bite the hand that feeds me. You know, I actually help agents that have signed up for Rate Tracker already. I help them close deals if they want my help and they board them with their eyes. I don't really care. I think about this very abundantly. Um, and the last thing I would do is try to steal people's leads. I think that would be small thinking. Right. And also, I just don't operate that way. You know, yeah. I always. Well, well plus, plus, of course, you'll, you know, if you pull this off, Adam, you'll be the only person in the industry that has an ISO and another business, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like everyone, <laughs> everyone listening right now is like, what is he talking about? I've got, I have one ISO, I have another one I'm part owner in, and then I have a processor agnostic, something else. So, <laughs> yeah, right, you know, right. we all, we all understand for sure. Yeah. Hey, let's, let's go, let's just dive a little bit more into the economics, if you don't mind. Sure. You know, does the ISO or the agent pay for the service? I think you seemed to, you mentioned a licensing fee, I believe. Yeah. Um, and what do the merchants pay, if anything? You know, can you share a few of those details, sure. you know, to help our audience understand better where the, uh, you know, where the business case is for this? Absolutely. So uh, merchants and referral partners, those two user types in Ray Tracker do not pay for it. Eventually, there might be a paid version, but I'm not really interested in that right now. I want it to get in as many hands as possible. Uh, agents, individual agents can sign up for uh, based on two terms, either $97 a month on a month to month basis, or you can buy a full year of unlimited access up front for $497. So you can sign up unlimited merchants, unlimited referral partners, and you get the product for a year. Um, I Obviously, like it doesn't matter to me how people sign up. But when you get that 500 bucks in and you pay for the whole year, um, the product that we see now is co it's constantly being worked on and it's going to be improved. So right. I think that that's a hell of a deal. Pardon my French. Um, it is discounted in my mind because if you sell one account, you by leveraging it, you it pays for itself. It pays for itself, right? Yeah. And like you also, I mean, there's a viral component that I want to implement uh, where customer or end users can will be incentivized by Rate Tracker to spread the word using their specific affiliate link. So imagine you go out and get 100 end users and those 100 end users bring you more end users. Those are all leads to close. And it's a wide open market right now because there's only a few hundred users. Um, and eventually, like this could be the thing that every merchant has. And if you're early, which it's still early, uh, you have a good opportunity to get a bunch of end users and sell a lot of mitts, right? Now, all that's kind of like a big theory. It's a big experiment, right? Um, and there's ways to optimize the usage of it. Like we do trainings. We want we want people, if they pay us, we want them to be successful with it. Sure. Um, and we do have packages for ISOs too. So ISOs are different. We base it on the number of agents that they have. Um, and we have pricing set for up to 25 agents in an office and we just started rolling out the enterprise package. So that's fairly new. So, so your, most of your experience then mm -hmm. is with individual agents, not with ISOs. Yeah. And that's, I wanted to focus on that. Cause like, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I sold, I still kind of sell accounts here and there, not really for my ISO, but I mean, I did direct sales for six and a half, seven years as an agent, sold a lot of mids. Like I know what it's like to go out and, hunt and I know what it's like to build referrals and all that. I've done it. I have sold over 600 right. accounts 
in my career. And uh, Ray Tracker probably helped me close 50 or 60 of them in the last year or so. So yeah. mostly just from beta testing it. Like it's really cool what it does. So yeah, I, I, I can definitely vouch for it. I mean, to me, you know, I got a demo again when I came out, you know, a few weeks ago there in Ohio. And, you know, to me, the interesting thing is, you know, rate tracker being built on plaid. I think that gives you so much uh, kind of reputational inertia, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like everybody trusts plaid. So I think merchants in general, that many of them have already used plaid when they applied for their home equity loan or when they got their car or whatever it is, right? So they've used plaid they in the past. <clears throat> they've used QuickBooks. They, they understand this yeah. connection point, right? Um, and yeah, to me, I think it's I think it's a really revolutionary concept because like you said, Adam, I love the way you put it that, you know, by focusing on price, the rate tracker is taking price out of the equation. So, you know, yeah. one of the most common things, like I think one of the main objections that actually exists that doesn't get verbalized very much is, well, how do I know you're not going to raise my rate? Yep. Right. Because, you know, they get the rate raised all the time and they may not say that, but I think as an agent, even if you're going in to close the account, it's like, now look, you know, in addition to, to merchant services, I'm going to give you rate tracker for free. And that's mm -hmm. like my scorecard. So you will know if there is a rate increase because you're going to get a text and an email every month. And like, I like that idea. And I like the idea of kind of the cold leads of just going in and saying, hey, let's, um, you know, let's get signed up for this. And if you're going to tell me no today, well, I bet if you get a big price increase, you're going to be more interested, right? Okay, great. Well, let's track it. So um, I love it. I think it's cool. So I, I do want to give out because Adam, right before the event here, uh, the podcast, Adam and I created a little link. Uh, so I've been involved with Rate Tracker. Um, so I have my own kind of affiliate link for ISOs and agents just because I believe in it so much. I wanted to help Adam promote it. So you can go to ccsalespro.com slash rate tracker, uh, all lowercase, all one word. So ccsalespro.com slash rate tracker. And uh, that'll take you right over to one of these forums where you can sign up and learn more about it. Um, but Adam, where else would you send people to learn more? Give us the company website and you know your contact info for the larger ISOs that would want to reach out. For sure. It's, uh, you can go to the website, which is www.ratetracker.io. And the email, uh, it's just hello at ratetracker.io. Uh, that's managed by uh, my assistant. And then I have a founding members team of guys that work behind the scenes to either sell it, service it. Uh, we're doing a lot of cool stuff. So one of us will get it and we'll respond to you to either set up a demo or do a call, whatever you want to do to see it. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much for your time and this really creative idea. I'm super excited to have you back on in like six months or a year when we kind of hear about how it's exploded. I really think it's going to be a big thing. So thank you for taking the time to share it with us today. Yeah, Adam, really great talking to you again. Thank you so much. You as well. Thanks for having me on. Uh -huh. Well, Patty, I talked about it last week. I'm going to talk about it again. I've got a live event coming up October 19th mm -hmm. at 10 a.m. Eastern. And I'm really excited about this one. We've got several of the executives from um, Stacks, formerly Fat Merchant. A lot of people in the industry okay. know about them. They, they know about their, their uh, incredible right. technology. They just did a big capital raise. Um, so they're taking off. And what a lot of people don't know is that they built some of their technology um, in partnership and on top of the NMI gateway. Right. Um, and so we're just talking about this idea of what is a next-gen ISO? What's the idea of this next-generation ISO? What is an ISO going to look like in five years? And we can already see that pattern with Stacks, um, and it's incredible what they've accomplished. I've been—it's really cool for me because obviously I know NMI really well, 
And then Stacks, like the first time I did a consulting for them and trained, they had like three sales reps that I trained in this little tiny office. And now they're this huge company. And I've been out there many, many times. So I know them really well. I know NMI really well. So I'm just going to be kind of the moderator yeah. um, and letting everybody gain from these insights of these extremely successful people that have done integrated technology. So um, if you want to jump on that event, go to ccsalespro.com slash n. M-I, ccsalespro.com slash NMI. Just for a short period of time here, we're redirecting that link directly to the registration page. So you can get registered for the event. Make sure you reserve your seat. I'm sure we'll fill up that event and it'll be a really good one. So don't miss out. And even if you're on the West Coast, seven o'clock is not that early. Get up and check it out. Absolutely. Well, and also if you register and you don't attend, we will email you the the replay. So even if you can't attend, go ahead and register. That way you at least get the replay. Awesome. Thanks, James. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, I thought a great question for today would be to talk about rate increases. You know, Mm -hmm. should we do them as an ISO? Should the agent try to exclude their merchants? You know, all of that. And so, um, I think rate increases are a just very, very interesting topic because there's a lot of different sides to look at. And I'm one of these people that I don't have a you know direct opinion on price increases are bad or price increases are good. Right. Um, I think that with the advent of technology like Rate Tracker, as that starts to gain steam, that's absolutely you know going to change the the decision making process a bit because. Sure. Yeah, you're going to have to think, well, if I do rate increases, my merchants might have a solution like Rate Tracker that will alert my competitors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not, you know, obviously a leading solution yet. Um, and so when we think about, you know, price increases, what I like to think about is several factors, okay? So number one, what does your brand stand for? What does your brand stand for? Um, for a lot of ISOs out there, the truth is their brand stands for nothing. Yeah, it doesn't. It, yeah. Their brand is a logo on the business card of a 1099 mm-hmm. sales rep that they use yeah. to make a sale or on their website. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when, you know, to be clear, when I say, what does your brand stand for? I don't mean, what do you wish your brand stood for? Right. Right. I mean, what, what does, yes. What does it actually stand for? Because a brand is just a word in the mind of the consumer or the client. Right. right? So when, when I, when I say your brand stands for nothing, what I mean is if I go into your merchant and I say, what does the name XYZ processing company, what does that name mean to you? What would they say? Would they, you're like, oh, our brand stands for integrity and good customer service. And okay. So you're saying, if I go and ask one of your merchants, what is XYZ processing company, that brand, what does that mean to you? Right. They would say integrity, good service. No, they would say, who's that? Uh, well, that's what I was just going to say that even if it's their processor, they probably right. wouldn't even know what the name was. Right. right? I so, mean, I'll, I've done that with, with companies. I've seen like, <laughs> you know, we accept global. It's like, so how do you like global? What's global? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and so I think, I think that that's the truth. And so, you know, why do a lot of ISOs do price increases? 
because their brand doesn't stand for anything. Why not? They can get away with it. Yeah. Why not? I mean, why not do a price increase? You're not, your brand doesn't stand for anything. Right. So then you have to back up and say, okay, well, maybe our brand stands for something else. Maybe our brand stands for top tier, you know, technology solutions. Right. And so you're implementing amazing technology solutions. Maybe you have to shave the margin off initially to get the deal to make room for the cash flow for the technology. But as your technology is becoming more and more valuable to the merchant, you know, you can maybe do a 10, 20 basis point price increase over time because you realize I'm not going to lose these people and they're going to be very happy because they have this technology. They love this technology right. and they didn't come with us because of our low pricing. They came with us because of our technology. We can afford to raise those rates a little bit. Right. Right. Um, in a reasonable way. I'm not talking about, you know, a 1% price increase, but, you know, doing some reasonable price increases can, can make sense there. Right. Or maybe your brand stands for simplicity and customer service. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and, and maybe one of your main goals is never drive attrition. Okay. Well then of course don't do a price increase. Right. Like it doesn't make any sense. You know, don't do a price increase. It's a no brainer. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So I think when we talk about price increases, um, I think we have to take that in consideration. I think the other thing that needs to be taken into consideration when doing a price increase is you really need to get the input of the agents that have feet on the street that are involved with these merchants. Sure. Some of the larger ISOs, I love what they do, which is they notify their agents, hey, look, here is the price increase we are about to do. If you have merchants that you need to exclude from this price increase, go to this form, fill it out or email us and let us know. Mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of times, you know, a, an agent will have a portfolio and they're like, well, I've got 60 mids, you know, 58 of them. I don't think they're going to care. That's fine. You know, they, I did price them really low initially and we need to get them up a little bit, but there's these two that are big accounts. I was competing with this other company and I really got them in at six basis points and four cents. And that was a, a challenge. I can't take them to 26 basis points. They're going to mm -hmm. blow their top, you know? Right, so right. that's where you're reaching out and you're allowing those agents to use their knowledge and, and understanding to say, let's, let's exclude some of these. Right. Um, but again, it ultimately comes back, back to what does your brand stand for? And again, I'm saying all this within the context of our interview with Ray tracker, because mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think it's so important when you're, you know, I always tell people, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to them, I can't tell you how many times I have a conversation with a consulting client, and they tell me something that they want to do. And I'll say, well, yeah, but you can't do that in this, yeah. in this market. It, and they're scenario. like, well, yeah, but it shouldn't be that way. And I'm like, well, that's a whole different <laughs> that's question. That's a whole different question. Exactly. It is that way. Like you're not right. operating in a vacuum. There are competitors. There are competitive this is forces. The reality. Right. Yes. The reality right now today, and I've seen the stats, you can do regular price increases and not significantly impact attrition. Okay. There is a reason that most large companies do lots of price increases. It's because they can, and it doesn't drive attrition um, in a big way, as long as they do it carefully. And, and, you know, so, you know, that's just, that's just reality. Now, again, why is this so important? Because you need to be aware of companies like Rate Tracker, not because of a good or bad, you know, some people listening are like, oh, these companies like Rate Tracker, Rate Tracker are going to come in here and ruin the margins for the industry. Like it's bad. Some of you are going to say, oh, it's, this is what our, our industry needs and more transparency, more honesty. I'm the pragmatist. So I'm kind of in the middle of that's a cool technology. How is that going to impact the decisions my consulting clients are making? And I'm going to advise them accordingly. Right. So mm -hmm. as I see companies like rate tracker really kind of taking over and having you know lots of, uh, of reach into the marketplace, 
I'm going to start advising against price increases because they will start to drive attrition. And so from a purely monetary perspective, not, it's not a, I'm not in the, you know, the, the, my consulting practice is not a a morality business. It's a profit making business. And I'm trying to help people make more money from their processing activities. Um, And so I'm like, Hey, you know what? You could do a small price increase here because you have done a good job of focusing on technology and building your brand in a way that makes it kind of, you know, uh, attrition proof. So right. I think it's an individual question for the ISOs, but ultimately the price increases, you, 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 there is no yes or no answer on the price increases. Mm-hmm. Is it mm-hmm. a good idea to do a price increase? It depends. You right. need to be aware of the different factors, the different technology companies, what your value proposition is. And my final challenge would just be, again, audit what your brand actually stands for. Your yeah. brand doesn't stand for what you say it stands for. It stands for what your merchants believe about you. Yes, exactly. Good stuff, so, James. You go. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, you know, there's been a lot of reporting lately on the changes in shopping and payment habits that were spurred on by the pandemic. And uh, I just completed a article for the Green Sheet on this, and I thought it would be interesting to to share some of the results. Um, You know, one of the assessments that I got from many of the experts I consulted is that these are changes that are here to stay and to continue evolving. Um, They're not one-off situations. So today I want to hone in on five particular trends, give you some data points that you can kind of use to formulate your plans in terms of taking advantage of these trends. Uh, Specifically, I'm going to talk about contactless, digital wallets, e-commerce, buy online for pickup in store or curbside, Mm -hmm. and buy now, pay later. Okay. So uh, first up is contactless payments. 74% of consumers worldwide have used contactless payments now. And in the U.S., the number is closer to 50%. But again, we tend to be behind on those types of things. This is according to to MasterCard. Uh, 67% of retailers offer consumers some form of contactless payment, according to NRF. That's the National Retail Federation, which does a comprehensive survey every year or two. Right. And uh, 19% of those of retailers say contactless payments account for more than half of their in-store transactions. I thought that was pretty significant. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah. Well. Now, moving on to digital wallets. Nearly one in five consumers globally has begun using di- digital wallets just since the pandemic. Um, 58% of consumers are using QR or barcodes for payments. Now, that's globally. Um, but the interesting thing, and this is from Blackhawk Network, the interesting thing here is about one in five of those are new to this. You know, James, you and I have talked about this in the past. You know, used to be you take a QR code, you, you snap a picture on a poster or something, and it takes you to a website. Right. Then as the restrictions started um, easing up under the pandemic, you started going to restaurants, you found the menus were like that. You know, then the next step after that was not only was the menu, but you could pay, the pay your bill. Yep. Um, some of the people I talked to said, you know, look for in the future 
especially because restaurants are having so much trouble uh, staffing up for a connection directly from that QR code to the kitchen. Yep. Just eliminate that wait staff at all, you know, mm. or at least minimize it. Right. Um, now, e-commerce is up next. I want to talk about that. Globally, e-commerce is on pace uh, to reach $4.2 trillion this year, according to Adobe. That's crazy. That's crazy, isn't wow. it? And um, 56% of Americans have been making online purchases since the start of the pandemic. Only 56%? I'm surprised. Right. I Actually, I like you, I was a little surprised by that. But then, you know, I started <laughs> thinking about, you know, you have a lot of people who are underbanked, you know, as the expression goes. Sure. Sure. And you have a lot of people who have been hard hit by the pandemic and just can't spend. Sure. Um, sure. You know, I think that 56 kind of accounts for, you know, folks that have kept their jobs and been able to shop, right. you know. Right. Um, but here's something I thought was really interesting. In the month of March, just in the month of March, U.S. consumers spent $78 billion online. Wow. I mean... You know, and you, only and only seventy billion of that was on Amazon, <laughs> right? Right. Actually, surprisingly, they said the you know some of the biggest um, companies for this were like uh, the big big box retailers. Uh, Walmart, I'm sure, it's got to be Walmart, huge. exactly. Best Buy, um, really? Yeah, yeah. Best Buy was another one. Target was another one. Right. Um, yeah, which which is interesting. Probably our listeners are the same as me, where you know, depending on where you live, I mean, if you actually think about your personal spend. That sounds about right. I mean, I think about yeah. we do our groceries now with the uh, delivery, which is an online thing right. from Walmart. Um, I went to Best Buy and bought a bunch of stuff for our business. We hired more analysts. We needed to buy more computers and screens and all right. of that for our ISO AMP company. So we spent a bunch of money at at, um, at Best Buy. We spent money on Amazon and, yeah. you know, and so, I, yeah, I mean, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, all, all three of those are the same for me. Those are probably the ones that I've spent the most on in the last year, Walmart, Best Buy and Amazon, yeah, you know, and um, interesting, but yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, buy online for pickup in store or at the curbside. There's a new term for that. It's called click and collect. Click and collect. Okay, much better than saying bopis or curbside. Right, <laughs> right, because right. that's the kind of thing that I found that I was using a lot um, right. in right. my reporting. But click and collect kind of covers both of those scenarios. Sure. Um, eMarketer reports that click and collect sales jumped 106.9% last year. Mm. Wow. And are on track to grow another 15% this year. I mean, the, the growing the 15% this year is what really kind of surprises me because, you know, we obviously understand last year. Right. But then this year being back to somewhat more normal and it still is up even from the, where it, you know, skyrocketed to the previous year. That's really crazy. Right. I think but, I just, that goes to show how much those habits, you know, are, have sticking power. Well, you know, I was, I was doing some research the other day and came up with a very interesting um, data point, which was that to change your habits, you know, the, the, the changing of habits right. um, takes on average 66 days. Hmm. Yeah. So we've been locked up, you know, most people were locked up for at least a year. So of course there's That's a good changed point. habits, you know, That's a good point. and I think it also goes to what we were saying a moment ago, you're doing a lot of shopping online. I'm doing a lot of shopping online. Right. Um, there's a lot of uh, that pickup at curbside. I mean, I don't like going into the grocery store if I don't have to. Right. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that are just 
So finally, I want to talk about buy now, pay later, because this is something that really blew my mind. Sure. Yeah, again, you and I have talked about this for a couple of years. I think we did our first interview with somebody on this probably back in 2018 or 2019. Right. Um, and it was a brand new concept to us then. They grew, those transactions grew more than tenfold to total $39 billion last year, according to Mercator Advisory Group. Wow. That's just amazing because to me, that doesn't even really seem pandemic related. I mean, I guess in some ways, well, in with some economic ways it strain. is. Yeah, because, you know, and I've talked to a lot oh. of people. I have my, my niece, she's probably about your age, and she was saying, Oh, Aunt Patty, I love that buy now, pay later. It's not that I don't have the money, but I'd rather budget it out. Mm. And, yeah. you know, and okay. she does it for a lot of online purchases. I sure. mean, but, but when you think then in 2019, that market was $3 billion, and yeah. now it's $39 billion. Right. And the other thing I found that I thought was very interesting is that it's not just for consumers. There's a company called Veeam, which is a global payments platform. It sure. now offers buy now, pay later plans for B2B transactions. Really? Yeah. They told me that it's big with small businesses I'm sure. that are looking for ways to better manage their cash. The payoff terms are generally three months. And like he's, the, the president of Veeam said to me, hmm. he's like, Patty, it's all about choice. You know, yeah. pay by check, pay by debit card, pay by credit card, or take three months to pay for it. Yeah, and, I like that. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I thought that was very interesting. And so, yeah. you know, I think all of this, go, the message from all of this is that touchless commerce is here to stay. Yeah. And consumers, as well as businesses, want more choices in how they pay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow, super interesting stuff. Yeah, thanks, James. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.